Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Olivia Chen, who is an energy modeler with the International Energy Agency, about the recently released World Energy Employment Report. So welcome to the interview, Olivia. Happy to be here. Now, I'm really interested in this because there's a lot of debate about, you know, decline of employment in the fossil fuel industry. So here in Canada, we're talking not so much coal, but oil and gas uh, in the United States, I would say probably the same thing. The focus would be more on oil and gas employment. And this is, uh, is the first report of its kind. I mean, the IEA, no other agency has done this kind of global energy system employment report. Is that correct? Yeah, to the best of our knowledge, this is the first comprehensive global energy employment report of its kind. And our motivation in preparing this report was to contribute something to the conversation about just transitions and also energy sector labor planning as clean energy transitions gain momentum and we expect to see sort of commensurate changes in the labor space. Um, yeah, I know, I, I, you know, there's a lot of talk in North America uh, about employment because the, especially with the passage of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act in, in the United States, which is very much an industrial policy approach. I mean, it wants the, the American government is looking to reshore uh, some supply chains that wants to build up some other supply chains like batteries, electric vehicles, so that it's not dependent on China. Uh, which dominates uh, many parts of the, the, the sort of clean energy uh, manufacturing and supply chains. And so that has lots of implications for employment. There's a, so there's a lot of discussion about that. So maybe we'll start this conversation on with a, off with a kind of a high level. I understand that 65 million people were employed in the global energy system in, in 2019, about 2% of global employment. Fuel supply, 21 million, power sector, 20 million, and then another 24 million around end, involved in uh, end uses such as energy efficiency and vehicle manufacturing. And is, are we expected to see, uh, are we expecting to see that that number will increase over time? Yes. Um, in the IEA scenario modeling, what we see is that overall energy sector employment grows there is a decline in fossil fuel employment, um, in, especially in certain regions, but there are more clean energy jobs growing, especially to be able to rapidly deploy technologies at scale within a short time frame. Now, my understanding is that a lot of the uh, energy employment uh, is associated with the construction of, of clean energy infrastructure. So that might be solar farms, wind farms, transmission, um, hydrogen, well, probably not hydrogen, hydrogen at this point, but certainly the whole electric vehicle supply chain uh, would, be, would be another one. 
Um, so building that infrastructure, once the, are we looking at 10 years to build as much as we need, 20 years, 30 years? Uh, and then what happens uh, to those folks who are involved in the construction side of building the infrastructure? Yeah, so absolutely. You know, we always think of clean energy transitions as something in the distant future. But actually, when we look at the employment numbers that we prepared for this report, we are seeing that already today, clean energy employment outnumbers employment related to fossil fuels. And this really showed us that, you know, the transition is underway. And a lot of this employment, as you said, is driven by the expansion of clean energy infrastructure. And it is the expansion of infrastructure that sort of is more labor intensive than the operations and maintenance of existing infrastructure. Um, and so we see a lot of jobs in manufacturing, in construction, which are sort of upstream in the whole supply chain, value chain life cycle of, a, of an energy asset. Um, right, and, and I suppose if you, we, let's use an example here. If you had a, a natural gas power plant, for instance, uh, the operation and maintenance of that would employ I'm going to say a relatively small number of people. I, I wouldn't. I couldn't tell you exactly how many might be in an, in a, you know a, a, a typical plant, but certainly I think it would be fair to say that if you're then going to replace all of those, all of that generating capacity, that the construction of new infrastructure, you know, again, wind and solar farms and batteries and what have you, is going to create a lot more short-term employment. Is that a fair assumption? Yes, and I think that this is part of our motivation for writing the report is that there is going to be a rapid ramp up of clean energy employment, and therefore it becomes very important for governments to be engaging, not only governments, companies as well, to be engaging in some proactive and strategic labor planning for the transition in order to make sure that, number one, um, there's adequate manpower trained up. It takes a few years to train people, and so there needs to be a little bit of foresight there um, in any skills that are specialized to the installation or the operations of this infrastructure. Um, number two, to make sure that there are some provisions in place for the job quality of clean energy jobs, because these are a newer space where maybe worker protection isn't as established. It's important to sort of shore up wages, benefits, you know, job security protections against occupational hazards to be able to attract workers to the space that needs to grow in the short term um, and, and also attract workers from other energy sector or energy industries that are more established and maybe higher union, have higher union rates right now um, and therefore better worker protection. And now I, I don't know if your report uh, dealt with this issue, but it's a, a it's been very interesting to me to to watch the amount of capital that's going into some of these uh, new clean energy industries. And a colleague and I went and we we took the the major auto manufacturers, and I'm talking about you know the Ford and GM and Stellantis and Mercedes Benz and you know, and but not the not in China, not in India, not in the small manufacturers, just kind of recognizable names, you know, that everybody would would know. And between now and 2026, those, you know, 10, 12 companies 
have committed $341 billion to, to switch over to electric vehicle manufacturing. And, and if you apply that, you know, you think about, about what's going on in China and India, I mean, it, it might be closer to 500 billion or, you know, far more than that. And with that CapEx that's being committed, now you're talking about jobs to convert factories, to build new factories, to mine new minerals, all of those sorts of things. And that seems to me to be, if you, and then if you apply that, that's just electric vehicles, that's the auto sector, you apply that now to the power sector, you apply that to the building sector and, and so on. And it's pretty easy to understand where that employment growth is coming. It's all tied to the tremendous flood of capital that's moving into the energy sector. Yeah, absolutely. And we see these geographical trends that you are referring to. So already today in the Asia Pacific region, we see over half of energy sector employment. Um, China alone accounts for 30%. And a lot of this has to do with manufacturing capacity being built up, um, especially for solar PV, for EVs, for batteries and other clean energy technologies. Um, as well as the fact that these countries have still rapidly expanding infrastructure of their own. And so in the coming years, the distribution of job growth opportunities in clean energy will depend on which regions decide to onshore their supply chains. Um, as we're already seeing, you mentioned just now the US Inflation Reduction Act, some concentration on domestic production of these technologies. And so the geog geographies of energy employment, um, it'll be interesting to see how they shift over the coming years. Again, this is only tangentially a, a, an employment question, but I'm also fascinated by the, I mean, I see the Inflation Reduction Act as uh, only secondarily to do with climate, uh, but primarily it's the Americans admitting uh, finally to themselves and doing something about the fact that China and other Asian countries are, and, and even Europe, are far, far ahead of, of uh, the U.S. in terms of clean energy manufacturing and industry associated with that. And now they have to play catch up. And so I, I see this next decade or two as really as kind of a clean energy arms race as the three, you know, we, we've got Asia, we've got Europe, we've got uh, North America, all competing for, for primacy in this new uh, clean energy economy, which really is going to dominate the 21st century in a way that the fossil fuels dominated the, the 20th century. And, and that, of course, has big implications for employment. Who's going to get, who is going to get all the benefits of that employment? Will it be in Asia? Will it be in Europe? Will it be in North America? We don't know yet. Is that a, what, what's your take on, on, on my take? My take on your take is that it, as I said just now, it is an interesting space to watch. I think it's going to be very important for countries to plan ahead and make sure that hiring does not become a bottleneck for them to be able to realize the plans that these ambitious policies are laying out. It's already becoming evident in the news. We see reports and also in our conversations with companies that there are some shortages in hiring, especially some hiring gaps in STEM-related jobs. And so, especially with ambitious policies like the IRA seeking to expand clean energy deployment, it will become 
or it already is very important to be collaborating between ministries of labor, energy, education for academic institutions and training institutions to be getting in on the conversation to make sure that their own country can be, you know, um, supplying the workers that they need to realize those dreams and ambitions. Right. Now, you mentioned STEM workers, and, and I find this very interesting because a fundamental difference between the uh, uh, you know, fossil fuels industry and clean energy is that clean energy is, is a technology, not a commodity. You know, you're, we're not digging stuff up and sending it off to be burnt. It's, you know, we're building things that will generate generate electricity, or maybe in the case of like electrolyzers, they'll they'll make make hydrogen and that sort of thing. And my assumption is that energy as a technology will require more STEM workers than maybe fossil fuels does. Is that a, a reasonable assumption? Yeah, so already today, we see that the energy sector requires more highly skilled labor than the economy-wide average. Um, and we do anticipate that share to increase over time with this shift of employment to clean energy. Um, and when we think about the different types of roles that um, energy jobs can fall into, there can be mining, manufacturing, construction, um, mining and, and, and others, obviously, mining in particular is um, more concentrated in existing fossil fuel assets. And so one point for energy policymakers to be thinking about is how to help support fossil fuel workers in their transition, um, especially if their jobs are vulnerable to this energy transition. And some fossil fuel workers have skills that are transferable even to clean energy sectors. And so for example, in oil and gas, we could say that petroleum and, and gas engineering skills can be applicable to geothermal prospecting or chemical engineers that work in refineries could switch, for example, to jobs in green fuels or hydrogen that require a similar knowledge base. We've also started to analyze at the IEA um, the transferability of coal miners and coal transport workers to other mines or especially critical minerals mines, since we see that growing and see some um, compatible skills. But of course, geographies also need to be aligned um, for workers to make that transfer. Of course, fossil fuel workers could be transferring to non-energy fields. Um, and, and it is this sort of difference in the nature of jobs that you refer to, which makes just transitions policy is really crucial for making sure that we get to build this new energy economy um, in a way where costs and benefits are shared across society. Let's talk about policy for a moment, because it seems to me that some countries uh, are taking a very a, a proactive policy approach. They're planning ahead of time. They're putting strategies in place. They're committing the, the funding required to support workers either in transition from, from industries like coal that are in decline uh, into, into growing uh, energy industries, uh, that sort of thing. And others are taking a bit more of a laissez-faire approach. You know, either they're expecting the market will do it, you know, the industries will do their own training uh, and recruitment, or they're, I, I, I hate to say it, 
But I think there are still governments, particularly subnational governments, you know, and I think in Canada, uh, uh, Alberta, which is kind of Canada's Texas, you know, which hasn't just, it hasn't grappled with the fact, accepted the fact that the energy transition over the last two or three years, particularly, you know, after the pandemic started, has accelerated at a tremendous amount, a tremendous rate. And it's no longer, it's, it's, if, if you, if you tarry, if you delay, if you don't seize opportunities for, to put these policies in place that are required, you're going to lose out. The, you know, capital will go to other regions that are better prepared and have a, you know, more, more, a better trained labor pool or whatever it is. And is that a reasonable observation? Yes, and it is difficult to enact just transitions policies sort of retroactively because a, a big part of what makes just transitions policy successful is stakeholder engagement from the beginning and discussion and defining how the transition is going to go and how, um, how workers will be able to transition depending on their context. Naturally, every Every situation is different, every context is different. We think a lot about the fact that fossil fuel workers can be, especially in coal, very geographically concentrated in communities around the mines. Um, and in those cases, it becomes especially important to have just transitions policies because it's not only the workers themselves, but their surrounding communities for which mining might be the lifeblood of the economy um, that would need support. And so, um, it can vary case by case, but um, we at the IEA we are seeing that just transitions policies do not cover that uh, a very large share of countries where we expect to see fossil fuel transitions, and you know, oil and gas transition is coming in the future years, and, and this can be a space where we where countries have the opportunity to be a little bit more proactive. Yeah, you know, you mentioned coal, and coal is uh, those communities are very often in uh, rural areas uh, close to the the coal resource. Um, but I've seen studies that show that uh, with the the clean energy technologies, uh, the the employment benefits are more likely to uh, be aggregated in hubs. You know, it could be a battery manufacturing hub. It could be electric vehicles. It could be who knows. Uh, in which case, the benefits are actually uh, concentrated for for urban areas, as opposed to rural areas. Does that get to be a planning uh, problem where, where you know your employment is growing, but it's growing in the in the in the cities and and taking employment away from rural areas where jobs may be scarce uh, to begin with? depends on the types of jobs we're talking about. So um, whereas manufacturing jobs can be very highly concentrated in these hubs where there is particular capacity, um, construction jobs or installation jobs might be more attached to the locations where these, you know, where solar panels are being installed or heat pumps are being installed. And that makes them more geographically diverse. Um, so we shouldn't assume automatically that the the cities are going to get all of the benefits and the rural areas will once again, you know, kind of like the Rust Belt argument in the in the US, you know, where the, these rural areas are just abandoned and and uh, you know they go into into what seems like a terminal decline. No, but for the communities where 
For example, a coal mine is shut down. Um, important strategy is not only to support the workers directly, maybe with you know pension adjustments or other forms of welfare support until they're able to find a new opportunity, but really to think about an alternate industry for the whole community to lean into and that can tap into the sort of comparative advantages that in, that community already has in terms of its infrastructure or human resources. Um, and building a new industry can sort of create and harness new economic growth more, more naturally and sustainably. Right. A, a, and in economic development as a response to industrial change like energy systems is, well, that's a whole that's a whole different interview. We'll save that one for another day. But I want to wrap up this interview, Olivia, with a discussion of the challenges and opportunities for younger workers. Because this is, you know, we're seeing this in North America. I imagine it's the same in Europe, you know, that uh, that younger workers feel they don't have the same opportunities they had their parents had. There may not be enough, you know, there might not be as many jobs, they might not be as good paying jobs. And yet I talk, you know, very often I ask, you know, let's say I'm talking to a, a business executive in the clean energy space, or maybe it's, a, a, you know, somebody running a research lab. And I often ask this question, are there opportunities for, for younger workers? And the answer is always overwhelmingly, yes. Uh, you know, that the, 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 the STEM industries, anything that any kind of um, a job that's got a technical component to it and where you've got some kind of advanced training around, you know, software design or whatever it might be, are going to be in huge demand. And, and of course, now we're seeing, you know, as thanks to the pandemic, we're seeing the great resignation or great retirement, I should say, you know, where older workers, the, bo the boomers are now leaving and in some cases, I know in Canada, we're talking about the labor force shrinking uh, because of that retirement, which then creates opportunities for you. So I guess what I'm asking here is, uh, is this energy transition, is the growth of clean energy economy a huge opportunity for, for younger workers? Yes, I think it's immensely exciting. I think this is a space that in every IE scenario is going to grow in employment and um, there is also the opportunity for the transition to grow, for clean energy jobs to be created in a way that are more inclusive. So one, one point that we found in our report was that women only make up a very small share of energy sector, sort of conventional energy industries, only 16% uh, compared to the economy-wide 39%. And this, big shift is an opportunity not only to grow in jobs, grow in opportunities, but to bring in new labor and the more inclusive that this transition can be and it, the more you know, people that we're able to draw on to, to fill the roles that are needed. Um, as of today, maybe in part due to the labor market disruptions that came with the pandemic, as you indicated, there are many different energy industries that are, are finding labor markets to be very tight companies want to hire and they can't find the jobs, the staff that they need to fill the jobs. And opportunity is only going to grow. Labor demand is only going to grow um, consistently across very different 
energy technologies. So not only the solar wind that we think of all the time, EVs manufacturing, but also, you know, in, in smaller renewables like geothermal and bioenergy, but also in energy efficiency, you know, retrofits and, and HVAC. And so it's, um, there's variety in the types of jobs that are needed, uh, not only for construction workers or manufacturing workers, but also for people who want to work in utilities and in, in, the, in professional roles. And so, yeah, absolutely. I view this as a exciting space of growth um, for the next generation to, you know, to kind of reap an advantage of this climate change and the energy transition and, and not only feel that the younger generation has more of a challenge in climate change to deal with. Right. This is a huge opportunity for a generation that, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing, I, I read media, media articles all the time about how the, the threat of climate change has affected, you know, youth who, you know, they're, they're more pessimistic and about the, the future and, and a little annoyed, you know, sort of Greta Thunberg annoyance at the, their, their parents' uh, inability to to cope with some of these and, and leaving them a legacy of you know climate uh, climate damage, climate crisis, and 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 then of course the economic uh, uh, issues that we talked about. Look, Olivia, thank you very much for this. I really appreciate your insights. Uh, this is the growth, the the whole issue of employment around the transition from from fossil fuels to clean energy is fascinating. We're going to keep our our, our eye on that. So thank you very much for this. Thank you for having me.